listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. Benjamin Law is a journalist and the author of Geisha and the Family Law, which you'll have seen adapted for SBS TV. He's also the man behind the new quarterly essay, Moral Panic 101, Equality, Acceptance and the Safe Schools Program, which you'll be discussing at readings tonight. Right now, though... He's joining us in the Breakfast Studio. Welcome to Triple R. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. You begin this essay by discussing in a really moving way, I thought, the case of Tyrone Unsworth, a name that many listeners might not know. Tell us about Tyrone. Tyrone was a kid, and I call him a kid for a reason, because he was technically a teenager, 13, but he'd only just turned 13 years old. And he was growing up in my original home state of Queensland. And at the end of November 2016, he killed himself. And I got the news when I was in China for work. I was at a conference there and uh, I was I was scanning through the Australian news and this thing kept popping up this news story about a kid who had killed himself, which is awful in any circumstance that someone so young would would think that it's necessary to take their lives and actually follow through on it. And the thing that really got to me was the fact that his mother said it was because he was gay and bullied and the headline in the Korea Mail was um, something like they ended up getting him or they got him, um, that bullies had effectively taken his life. And there are some things that we'll never know about Tyrone Unsworth's death, but we do know that he was bullied for his sexuality. We we do know that he expressed distress over his sexuality and we do know that, um, you know, he was assaulted quite brutally uh, for it by his peers. And in all of this, um, it, it reminded me of the fact that since February that year, Tyrone Unsworth took his life in, in November, but in February, the Australian had started an, an indefatigable campaign against the Safe Schools program that was designed by state and federal governments to keep kids like Tyrone Unsworth safe, and he was no longer with us. What do we know about uh, queer kids' experience of school and adolescence in Australia? What statistics do we have on, on how, how they cope and what's done to them? Well, we know that if you are LGBTIQ and young in an Australian schoolyard, or even if you're simply questioning your sexuality, you are likely to be bullied and that over 75 to 80% of that bullying will take place at schools. So the whole idea of safe schools came from a very uncontroversial, uh, you know, data set that said that if you're LGBTIQ youth, you are most likely to be bullied at school. And that's something that we need to be addressed. And I think when some parents hear that, they're like, well, my child's not gay, or they're not questioning, or they're not trans or anything. So it's a bit of a boutique concern. You know, there aren't that many LGBTIQ kids out there. But to point out the obvious maybe is that homophobia and transphobia doesn't just affect queer kids it affects straight kids as well the way that we police mannerisms and behavior the way that you're supposed to be a girl the way that you're supposed to be a boy it affects every young person in the schoolyard and there are higher rates of truancy if you're if you're queer if um if you're lgbtiq um, at youth you are also far less likely to complete school than your straight or cisgender peers can you talk a little bit about how, like, homophobia is is different to your general bullying. Mm, mm. Because this, Geraldine, is something that comes up quite often, like, mm. well, safe schools and anti-bullying anti program for LGBT. What about the Hindu kids? What about the fat kids? What about the freckly kids? Blah, 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 blah. That seemed to be the strongest argument that they, they, well, they thought was the strongest argument. And mm. I feel like that's kind of a seductive argument. When yeah. I first hear that, I think, well, well, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I'm a bit biased because I'm gay myself, so why is there? But, but the obvious then presents itself, which is, well, one, those 
stats, um, you know, Hindu kids or, you know, religious minorities aren't as bullied as LGBTIQ kids, but that shouldn't preclude them from having their own protections. But the other thing as well is that... um, you know, most kids, when they go home at night, they go back to a family that affirms that part of their identity for which they were bullied. But LGBTIQ kids, say, unlike Hindu kids, go back home to most probably cisgender parents or heterosexual parents and they are isolated from Mm. the people inside their home. So if homes also aren't safe, because we also know that looking at the data sets that um, a lot of kids don't feel safe in their home environment, then schools have to be. And I guess the other thing to point out, Geraldine, is that when you're when you're queer at school, you know, gay gay holds that weird honour of being the only identity ascribed to anything deemed to be shit. Yeah, you know, yeah, nothing yeah. else you're really bullied for specifically is is synonymous with simply saying that's crap, but gay is. And I know that the language used in my primary school was really homophobic when I was growing mm. up in the 80s. Words like gay were just kind of flung around. I think it even is now. Yeah. Well, there you go. And, but you also make the point in this essay that safe schools wasn't intended to be something that necessarily had to teach children about mm. their sexuality or talk about these things. It was also just to make a space and teach teachers and principals how to make a safe space for children generally and help get rid of things mm. like the you know, hypothermic language. It, and I feel like that's where things got a little bit confused with safe schools. Yeah, Sarah, I think we've reached a point where if you even do a normal news report on safe schools now, it's cushioned with other words. It's called the controversial, controversial. Yes. safe schools program. And with the essay, I really wanted to take a step back and ask, well, how did it become controversial in the first place? These things don't happen in a vacuum. So it became controversial, I think, because The Australian ran at least one news story about safe schools at least every two days amounting to over 90,000 words, all of which were critical, and in none of those stories did any of the reporters talk to one young person. That reveals a lot. They would say that that's thorough reporting. I think it's very clearly right-wing activism. And, and okay, so the other part of that, the controversial safe schools program, like you say, I actually think program is a bit of a misnomer because mm. now we've gotten to the point where we, where we generally believe that, that queer activists are accessing classrooms to teach your kids about LGBTIQ when they don't even know the three R's. And, <laughs> you know, as a, as a gay guy, I, I actually think that's probably something that I wish that I had when I was <laughs> growing up. But on the other hand, it, it, it clouded what, what safe schools actually is. And I think a lot of the people who have read the essay have been actually quite shocked at how mild safe schools is. I was. The, the it's o- actually quite uncontroversial. Absolutely. And the only thing, that, the only mandatory thing that was required of you as a signatory uh, signing up to safe schools as a principal or a teacher uh, was to simply sign a pledge saying, I pledge to try to make my campus safer for LGBTI kids. Yes, they were encouraged to take up teacher and principal resource training. So someone from safe schools would come and deliver like a 20 minute PowerPoint presentation about all those stats about bullying and suicide and truancy that I was saying before. But that was also optional. At the very, very basic level, it was a pledge. 
But okay, so the Australian though is a niche publication with a fairly small <laughs> and declining circulation. <laughs> Loses money. They, year they would say, Jeff, like, hello, our <laughs> digital subscription, our, our digital subscriptions are increasing. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> How then did it manage to achieve this result of so effectively demonising this program? And was there a resonance for this message amongst the public? Was it totally a media beat up, or were they simply convincing politicians? How did it work? You are right. The Australian, like any legacy media organisation. Is, is struggling for, for engagement and for readers as well. And you ask anyone working at The Australian, and I should probably flag here as well that I don't want to frame this as The Australian versus Benjamin Law or me versus The Australian because, God help me, I'm still a subscriber. I think there are amazing journalists still working at The Australian and I've probably got some of the best arts pages in the country. So I want to take that kind of away. But the other thing is they do realise that they still have political sway. They do have muscle in the game when it comes to shaping the agenda. And with Safe Schools, they were onto a winner because um, within hours of that front page news story on the 10th of February 2016, um, Safe Schools was suddenly on the agenda. It was debated in Parliament. Within days, um, federal MPs vowed to strip it of its funding and to demolish it out of existence. Within, um, you know, a fortnight, a review was based... Oh, within, within a month, I think, a review was called. Um, Simon Birmingham was effectively put in a position where he had to review a resource that had been thoroughly reviewed by independent curriculum consultants. I know this stuff sounds boring, but, like, developing an educational resource is really boring and meticulous and stuff doesn't just get into schools or into the hands of principals and teachers without going through a lot of vetting and a lot of oversights. But I think what what this case demonstrated to the Australian and reminded themselves of was that we are still in the game. We still have teeth in the game. The first news story that they published got 800 comments as well. We're on to a winner here. Mm. You've Since this essay's come out, you've been a target of the Australian and other... It's been delicious. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Lawgate raged for five days yeah, straight. I don't I, know whether... I haven't seen... I love all of the puns I got from high school, like, because my name is, is pun-worthy, like Law, but you can't really do much with it. It's just like, Law unto himself. <laughs> for, no, it's just like, breaking the law. Yeah, okay. uh, you're laughing about it, but what was that experience like? Because I can imagine a lot of people would find that very intimidating. Um, it was... Look, this makes me sound like an absolute sociopath, because I am. <laughs> but but it was kind of exciting, because when I, when I signed the dotted line to write this quarterly essay about half a year ago... I knew that part of the essay would have to go hard into the Australian's coverage of safe schools. You can't disentangle the story of safe schools to how it was a media story. As much as it's an educational and political story, it's also very much a media story as well. And I'm friends with people like Yasmin Abdel-Majid. I know Tim Sapomazan as well. I know how the Australian goes after people. And then for the quarterly essay, I had to spend six months studying how they did it as well. And so I was not surprised when it happened. And actually, I would have been a little bit disappointed if they hadn't gone after me because what's been great is the publicity that's been whipped up. It's about a tweet where I use the phrase hate effing um, 
And I think what The Australian has underestimated is, one, it's, it's, it's readers' capacity to give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm. That's the first thing. And secondly, their access to this amazing obscure resource called Google. And if you, <laughs> if you Google the term hate sex or hate effing, you realise straight away that it's not rape. It's probably something that probably most partners of conservative politicians have engaged with, with their partners <laughs> at some stage late at night yeah. after a long night. I feel House of Representatives. Just <laughs> yeah. I, hope they are. I hope they are. So, look, it's, that, that's kind of played right into my hands. I know I sound like an Inspector Gadget villain to say <laughs> that, but um, but it's been great publicity. And and on another basic level, um, with the coverage that the Australian has given me, some people have overtaken the comments and said, "Well, look, this is what hate effing means." Blah 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 blah. And there have been a few people, like parents especially, have gotten in touch saying. Um, your tweet really offended me and horrified me at first. Then I saw what that term actually meant and I realised, oh, maybe it's a beat-up. I've now read your essay and now I feel more equipped as a parent of young children if they do struggle with their sexuality. And on a very basic level, that makes all of this stuff worthwhile. Mm, take that, the Australian. Yeah, totally. <laughs> do you, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, sorry, in the, um, in the essay you talked about, uh, it, it all kind of started with the Gaby Babies yeah. doco. And uh, that came out and parents, there was concerned parents that complained. Concerned parents. But these were concerned parents of who knows what kids because these were kids that weren't at the school. This keeps happening over and over again. Yeah, so you talked about how, you know, there's all these people making complaints and it just seems like it's about to be a house of cards that's going to fall down (laughs) soon enough because people realise that it's all just unfounded lies Mm. and, and stuff. But... That hasn't happened. It no. seems like it hasn't happened yet. How do you like? When is it going to happen? Uh, hashtag fake news, Geraldine. <laughs> um, no, because, because because it is true that um, one of the more concerning things that you find that I found in researching this essay is that how quickly lies take over. So, for instance, with the same-sex marriage, I don't want to call it a survey because surveys are statistically weighted and accurate, and this one won't be. I don't want to call it a plebiscite because they're mandatory. I don't want to call it a vote because it's not binding. It's a vox pop with this <laughs> with this marriage vox pop coming up. These ads are coming out that ha- that are not bound to the obligation to be factually correct. Mm. And and as a result, you've got very concerned parents on television talking about what safe schools did in their school. And those claims have been roundly proven um, by nonpartisan journalists and by the original sources, by people at the school, to be absolutely false. And if you read the essay, you'll find that if you go to the original sources, how those machinations were allowed to take place, we've kind of reached a point where it doesn't really matter what you say, it seems to take hold anyway. Uh, what I've been really um, afraid of is that no one will be willing to read a 25,000-word essay about how this stuff has happened and what's been really heartening is how many people are willing to take the plunge. And just really quickly, do you think we will see a program like Safe Schools ever on the agenda again in Australia? Well, in the state of Victoria, absolutely. The Andrews government is is the first government in Australia to roll it out mandatorily. Is that the word? It's, That'll it's do. Compulsory. <laughs> it's compulsory now. And by the end of 2018, it'll be a moot point. In every public school in Victoria, they will be a Safe School signatory, which means that every principal um, of a public school in this state will have signed the pledge to say we will aim to make our school safer for LGBTIQ kids. And beyond that, the program has been 
been made more robust in this state as well. Principals and teachers now also have to outline how they're going to do it. That's the next step. And you'll see in Labor state governments with state and territories, or with the exception of Queensland, who are still figuring out what they want to do with this, they're going to keep delivering safe schools in some way, shape or form. So not all hope is lost. The essay is entitled Moral Panic 101, Equality, Acceptance and the Safe Schools out through the quarterly essay program. Uh, it's been lovely talking to you, Benjamin. Best Thanks so much for having time. me, guys. See ya. Earlier this morning, I went to the theatre on mm. Friday night and saw um, Pike Street, which was amazing. Uh, but I'll tell you one part that was not amazing. Oh, no. Uh, was there was, <laughs> there was, I went with a few other mates um, and in, sitting in front of us, there was a, a, young, a young couple oh, that yes. uh, decided that this theatre show would be a time to just kind of Pretend that they were on the back seat of a theatre, of a movie theatre, yeah. and oh. just a bit of a bit of chat, chat, bit of chat, chat, bit of kissing, snogging, yeah, a little oh. bit of canoodling, PDAs, yeah, and it was like what public are space you? of affection, oh. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Does not surprise me you don't know that term. No, not not a, not a thing. Down with PDAs. <laughs> down, down like with, at first, down I, with A's. like she. The woman just kept on moving around in her seat to the point where I, I thought... movers. Yeah, and I thought, oh, maybe she's got a pain in her belly. Maybe she's got oh. cramps. And he's, Did you ask? No, no, just kept silent. This is before the show or this during, is during the show? during the show. Oh. It's very off-putting. Um, and then so she kept on moving around and he kept, you know, was putting her arm around. And at first I thought, oh, that's really sweet, you know, there, you know, she's maybe she's got cramps. She's trying to get comfortable, and he's just being comforting her and going, "It's okay, everything's going to be fine." And then it was just a lot of whispering and a lot of, and he putting his head on her shoulders. And I'm like, "Well, that's it's not a stomach cramp anymore, is it? You, you guys are just just want to make out. You're not paying any attention to what's happening on the stage. This is too much. I can't handle it." Uh, and but it was happening like I could see it. it was just off to my to my right. Oh, so it wasn't behind you? No, no, it was in front. How annoying! Like you see it in my peripheral. I'm trying to watch a show, and then at the corner of my eye, that's happening, and it's happening right in front of my two mates. Uh, and both of them, the same, at, at one point, they kind of we looked across at each other. And we're just like, oh my god, just rolling our eyes, going, just please stop. And then they had another go at each other. Um, you know, we're just you know, canoodling. And then both my mates at the same time just moved forward and tapped them on the shoulder and went, give it a rest. They were oh. trying to watch. You know, this we're trying to watch the theatre here. Can you please just pay attention? <laughs> Um, and I went, oh, my God, that's the best because <laughs> I, you know, I would have just rolled my eyes the whole time. Just got, and not said anything. Ugh. Yeah, not said anything. How did they respond? Well, they stopped. They just... Oh. Were, they, were they kind of like, okay, or did they just... Well, yeah, were they embarrassed or... I did think they get so. angry or miffed or No, anything? they just kind of just stopped. Okay. And it was like, oh, what a relief. And then they just avoided eye contact at the end. Good. Good idea, well, really, on their part. Because are you one of those people? Because I feel like they're, you know, the world's in two sorts of 
two two categories there. People who there's do, two do, kinds of people. Two in the world. kinds of world. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The people who do that stuff. There's two it. kinds of world in there. <laughs> <laughs> there's two kinds of worlds of the people. There's two, like there's worlds of the two kinds of the yes, people. Yes, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, feel like I'm losing my point. But like Steph, for instance, is very. Um, she'll do that at the drop of a hat. Mm. Uh, my big Jacinta. Um, oh, Jacinta, she might be listening. She is a she is a you a tell people. Oh, she is a shusha. She is a tell people public off for doing things they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah. whereas I'm no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm just like a oh, well. Um, just gonna... But I'm always kind of glad when she does it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, but then, like, like in your situation, obviously it was the right thing to do. They calmed down. Yeah. Everyone has a good time. Problem over. But there's always the possibility that maybe it's going to escalate the situation. You know what I mean? Like, has it happened to you? Yeah, I've had it with people then um, we've shushed them and then they've just made a point of talking more loudly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it can yeah, backfire yeah. when you say, you know, would you mind? It happens a lot of gigs when you say, oh, you know, so would you mind just taking a step back? You know, you're pushing yeah. into me. And people either say, I'm so sorry, or they go, and then they keep shoving you even more. Just yeah. to make a little bit of a point. There's another two kinds of people in the world. Well, <laughs> what are they? <laughs> those that are dicks and those that aren't. <laughs> um, when, although it's handy having one of these people in your life because I'm a don't really say anything. Don't but rock the boat. I do. Mm. Well, I've told you once before I pinched someone when I was at a gig and that was how I, I'm that. sure I've told you that. Well, tell us again, please. Oh, well, I was at a show and there was some big, burly... It like up, up in okay. the States a bit. I shouldn't have made this about me pinching people. It makes me seem weird. I was at a gig and it was very full. I think it was... No. Like no, come on. No, keep I sound going. like a psycho. No, no, no. Pinch. No, no, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. A pinch. <laughs> like a playful pinch. I was at a show and there was it was super grass actually at the forum and it was really, really full down on the floor and there was two big dudes in front of me, but they were... They were responding to the music in a way that wasn't appropriate in that, like, they were kind of, like, almost moshing and, like, jumping around a lot. And I love people having a dance, but they were doing so at the expense of everyone around them. They were a bit drunk. They were pushing back into us. And it just got to the point... It's not about you, fellas. Exactly, right? And I thought ruining it for everyone else. Exactly. And I thought I can either... I was with all young men, okay, men who were... Young men, it sounds like I was at some weird (laughs) group of... Oh, anyway... I was with my brother, who's younger than me, and his friends, and they were... I thought, I don't want to get them in trouble because they were a lot smaller than the guys, the big dudes. Uh-huh. And I thought, I don't want to get them in trouble by saying, hey, would you mind stopping doing this? Because I thought, what if they take on yeah. the little <laughs> guys? Yeah. Doing it. My friends will sort you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I step away. <laughs> so I thought, what I might do is when everyone was moving a lot, I might pinch the guys back. And I did, and then he, and he turned around and... No one knew what he was talking about. He goes, who pinched me? <laughs> you have not told us this I'm story. Sure I, have. I think it makes me I'm seem sure. like a bad person. I just know. How you thought that was going to work? Did you own up to it? When no. He... Oh, then I, I kind of slid away a little bit and he was going, who pinched me? Who pinched me? And then everyone was kind of laughing a little bit. And I think at that moment he realised I've got to eat stopped them. Because oh, they, they kind of moved away from that area. Because obviously it was weird that they'd been pinched by someone. That's a random pinch. Maybe you should have done that. I just love this idea of you going to <laughs> concerts and just sneaking up and just pinching people in the back I and then sliding I out. Don't, I don't do it often. But that's the only time I've ever pinched someone. Maybe you should have done that in the theatre. What, what a great diffuser. If... That's really great. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Good. Yeah, what would have happened if you just reached over and pinched those two people in front of you? Well, they would have known it was her, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all right. You 
can't secretly pinch them. I reckon if anything, if I was going to, instead of tapping them, I would have flicked them behind their behind oh, their ear. I love an ear flick. Get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you flicked my ear. <laughs> I told you, Saturday night I was um, involved in doing a film for some VCA Oh, students. yes, I do. Yeah. You're the star of the VCA circuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of us that are doing there. There's another guy there that um, was in the last one I, that I'd done. I was oh. like, oh, mm. g'day, mate. Good Work to see you circuit. again. Work in the circuit. But it was fun. I played a role where I had to eat um, pickles. <laughs> Oh. And um, pickle in, eating role. Ah, yeah, oh, hello. Yeah, and in my in my head, uh, when they said, "Oh, you know, you know, you eat pickles," and I just sit there and go, "Oh, these pickles are so great. There's just something about them, mm, delicious." You know, um, I had in, in my mind had envisioned those. You know, those small pickles that you get like a, as a side on when you get burgers and stuff. Yeah, or the ones in a jar when you have pickle backs. Like a jar of pickles? Yeah, so you mean yeah. just the little ones? Just the little yes. ones. Oh, you mean the tiny little ones, like yeah. the mini ones? Yeah, yeah, those ah. little ones. I had that in my head. So they went, do you like pickles? I'm like, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, no problems. Because I had that in my mind of like, yeah, I can, you know, eat eat those. No problems. Ah. And then when I get there and they're like, oh, there's your jar of pickles. And it is that, you know, that big jar <gasps> with these. Like gherkins. Yeah, these oh. big fat gherkin pickles and I was like oh (laughs) these are much more confronting to look at and And I went oh it's it's fine like I don't you know they because they said would you you know we could um give you cucumbers instead I was like I'm not a big fan of cucumbers Mm. like no I'll take pickles over cucumbers is that what a pickle is is a pickle a pickled Cucumber. Cucumber. Gherkin. I'm going to say that it... Or is it a gherkin? Is What's it, a gherkin? Is it, or is a gherkin a pickled cucumber? I don't know. Anyway. You can also get dill. You can also get dill pickles, which are dill cucumbers, I think. Anyway, let's... Okay. You, we'll, you, we'll go into the details of pickles online <laughs> while you I'll carry continue. on with your story. Anyway, so they brought out this big jar, these big fat pickles, gherkins, possibly cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something else altogether. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Because that's, that's the, uh, you know, I, you know, it's like I don't like them. Like I've never been one to take them out of a cheeseburger. Pickled cucumber. Well, there but you go. In, yeah. So in your cheeseburger, they're just cut in slices, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And they're also different. covered in delicious sauce. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I was like, oh, it, it, it's fine. It's totally fine. And so, you know, it gets to the scene and, you know, there was a lot of rehearsals and stuff without eating the pickle and then it's like, let's save the pickle eating for the actual take. Why not? Why waste it? Yeah. And then and then when I took that first bite, I went, oh, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh, I'm, I don't like pickles that much. 
I do not like them that much. And the, you know, normally sounds like the start of a Doctor Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> I do not like pickles. I do not. Uh, I'd rather a hammer and a sickle rather than this pickle. Um, so, but I took this bite. and I was like, oh no. And and that's the thing. Like normally, he's re- revealing a bit of magic of movies. Sometimes when you're eating, you don't actually eat it. You know, you just put it in your mouth, pretend and eat it, and then you've got your bucket next to you, and then you spit it out. It's the magic of acting. Exactly, right? But in this scene, I had to take a couple of bites. At, you know, it was a continuous scene of, oh, I'll tell you what, these pickles are something what, else. What's, what's the con? Why were you eating pickles? Who cares? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just seems to be a strange film, that's Just, all. It makes you feel better. Only 16 calories in a pickle. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> that's what I'm learning when I'm online. Yeah. Uh, why was it? Because I was just I worked at a um, at a restaurant. I was the manager. Like imagine an old country restaurant. I'm just sitting there. And my character liked pickles. So yeah. I had a jar of pickles next to me at the counter, and I'd just bite them while I was watching uh, um, a drama on TV, like a soap opera. I'm just you know absentmindedly going through my pickles, going oh, these are <laughs> these are, it's just that they're so crisp. They're just really crisp. Good stuff, you know. I can't stand a soggy pickle, and then so there's this scene where I just keep on eating this pickle. So it's not like I can just take one bite and spit it out. No. It was like at least Jeez. three bites. And did so, they, did they think this through? No, I didn't. They did, <laughs> and they asked me, Are "You okay with eating pickles?" And okay. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine." And then I did not think it through. But so then, and then in the you know the last bite is like. You know, the scene's done and the, towards the end of the scene it's just me taking one more bite and then just chewing and chewing and chewing on this pickle oh, and then man. just waiting for the director to go, okay, cut. <laughs> and it's <laughs> that last bite. Like every time it's like, oh, I've got to take another bite. I've got to take another bite oh. and then bite it. And then it felt like an eternity before he'd go, cut, and then I'd get to spit that last little bit out. Was it embarrassing having to spit out? Food in front of people. I had no problems with okay. that at all. <laughs> and I handed over the bucket and went, enjoy that. You can. <laughs> or yours. Do you reckon that's the only time in your life that you've had to eat, eat pickles? A, yeah, well, it's eat a food consistently. Do you know what I mean? Like if you go in and eating a food eating competition or something, you're going to have to eat however many things in a row. You know when you go camping yeah. when you're a kid and it'd be a fire band and then you'd have to eat. Oh. You ever play Fluffy Bunnies? Oh, what's Fluffy Bunnies? Well, you put a marshmallow in your mouth and you say Fluffy oh, Bunny. That's right. And you put another one in and you say Fluffy Bunny. And you put another one in and go Fluffy Bunny. And then you put another one. Fluffy bunny. Oh, Fluffy Bunny. And then you end up spitting it out. I did the Warhead Challenge when I was a kid where you put in as many sour Warheads or hot Warheads oh. as possible. Oh. Yeah. What was your record? I can't even remember now. Probably about three. I'm a bit of a chicken. That fluffy bunny sounds like a waste of good marshmallows. <laughs> it does. Because <laughs> you never swallow them. You don't end up spitting them out everywhere. But then there was the the, the, the um, urban legend that went around that someone on a school camp had died. I think that's what teachers Coach. told students yes. to make to stop them doing fluffy bunnies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think they're not camps. allowed to do it. Anymore. I feel like. Teachers probably aren't allowed to threaten children with dying anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, so tell, tell us, tell us about the times that you've eaten stuff, Jeff. Yeah, I, know, I like eating. Tell things. us about your dinner. Well, last we do night. know. You know why? That, do you know why that's funny? Because we just got a message that says pickles and pancetta hands winning combination. <laughs> How rude. Um, For those that don't know, Jeff's nickname is Pancetta Hands. It's not my nickname it at is. all. But I feel that the problem is with the pickle situation. Is you're not really supposed to eat pickles like that, are you? Oh, Aren't you? 
Yeah, I, I don't think, think so. Eh? You just you have them like a like you have them like a hamburger. You just cut a little bit. Well, off. the Americans, you know, when you order a sandwich in America, you always get a massive pickle with it. They love they eat the most pickles in the world. I just learned it then on the internet. Really? Oh. Yeah. But did you know? You know when you in in America you get something? Yeah, they have yeah. A, like you, you just get, get a, a massive. Side of- Pickle. But see, that's not. I've I've had sides of pickles where they have those little ones, the mini ones, yeah. yeah and I'm, but that's that's what I had in my head. Like, yeah, people love pickles. Yeah, I don't know. Have no, you tried it? I don't think I've ever eaten a pickle like the way you describe it, though. Like a giant one picked it out and munched on it. No, that really? seems a bit. No, I I I, I sympathise. Well, I'm I, surprised <laughs> that you think. <laughs> And I don't pulling think... something out of a jar, straight out of the jar, and eating it is weird. This well, is if you've got any, got any spare ones, yeah. bring like them in. <laughs> can't have standards when it comes to pickles. <laughs> bring them in, and I'll try them out. <laughs> If you're a basketball fan, you might already know about the Safe Lace basketball camps that are coming up beginning on the 25th of September and running through the school holidays. One of the presenters is former Harlem Globetrotter Jay Stretch Middleton. He's joining us now in the Breakfaster studio. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Look, the Harlem Globetrotters, a legendary institution in the US and around the world. Can you tell us a little bit about their history? How long have they been around? What kind of role do they play in America? Well, they're known as uh, the Goodwill Ambassadors. They've been around for about 92 years. They started out of uh, Hinkley, Illinois. A lot of people don't know that the Globetrotters are not actually from Harlem. They're from Hinkley, <laughs> Illinois. That's where they started. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. Well, how did they get to become called Harlem Globetrotters? Well, the Hinkley Globetrotters. <laughs> well, back in America, you know, it was a, we had to have, you know, the segregation problem. And, and the uh. epidemic of black culture was Harlem at the time. So the um, the owner at the time was uh, Abe Saperstein. So he wanted to give the illusion that they traveled around the country. So that's why they gave him the name the Harlem Globetrotters. Wow. Yes. And how do you get into the Globetrotters? Obviously, you have to be a good player, but how do they know if you're going to be good at tricks and stunts and that well, kind of stuff? Well, first they look for um, a, a suitable personality to fit their program. And the tricks and stuff come later. Like anybody like, can learn a trick. Well, yes, anybody can learn a trick, but it's much easier when you're a basketball player. You can, uh, you can learn how to handle the ball a little bit. It just takes a lot of practice. Do you do you have to audition? Yes, you have to audition just like a regular team. They wow. have a they have a they have a tryout. They see what you can do, and then they pick you off based off your skill first. Yeah. And then the other sets come second. Did you grow up wanting to play basketball? Not at first. I was more of um, more football, American football, yeah. baseball type of guy oh, then that wow. one summer in high school i think i was around 16 17 i had that hum, uh, humongous uh, growth spurt that's <laughs> from like six i think well six two to six eleven something crazy like oh, that oh my god i don't remember exactly but i just remember it was huge happened in that four month that that summer then it i sounds start, painful <laughs> and then i uh, decided to get in well i was kind of made to get into basketball and i just had to leave baseball and football and I've been playing ever since. <laughs> uh, you are um, quite tall, seven foot. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> seven foot. Were the rest of your family tall? Was that growth spurt expected or was it just uh, uh, came out mother, of nowhere? My mother was tall. My great-grandmother was very tall. My grandmother's tall. Uh, 
all my sisters. So we were, we're a pretty tall family. Yeah. I'm, I'm the tallest of right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think my little brother would pass me. Uh, and what yeah. was your favourite memory of playing in the, playing with the Globetrotters? As, as you say, I mean, they're sort of known as goodwill ambassadors as much mm-hmm. as a sporting um, team. What was your favourite memory of, of being in that team? <sighs> so many. Um, one of my favourite things to do was uh, after the game, I, 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 had a, I had a chance to interact with the fans and sign autographs and take questions. That was uh, something special most pro teams doesn't do, but I actually kind of enjoyed it. I remember I saw the Globetrotters years ago, and people haven't seen them. Uh, you always play a, an exhibition game against mm-hmm. the Washington Generals. Yes. I always felt a bit sorry for them because they always come out there and they always used to spectacularly <laughs> lose. Well, they have to try harder to beat us, but they can never beat us at a time. And one memory, um, ever since I was with the Globetrotters, you know, I never lost a game in like six years, so... Wow. The, yeah, so... So you're out here to do um, some basketball camps for uh, for school children. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going to happen at these camps? Well, it's going to be a unique experience because I'm going to be coaching all of them. And um, we're going to cover basic fundamentals, and we're going to have some private sessions so we can work on particular skills that the kids need. And um, and also you're gonna, you may have a chance to learn some tips and tricks from me. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I was going to say, one of the sessions is called Tricks and Secrets. Yes. I mean, I guess if there's secrets, you have to be careful about what you say. But what, what are the, some of the sort of things that you might be revealing in those? Well, you have to come to the camp to find <laughs> out. So I can't reveal them over the, um, the, the um, is it, radio. Is there like a number one trick that people ask you to do when they meet you at a camp like this that the kids are keen to see you do? Oh, they always say, can you spin a ball on my finger? Yeah. <laughs> That's their favorite. That's their favorite trick. I still try and do that, and I'm no good. <laughs> I mean, basketball is sort of a quintessentially American sport, but you're traveling around the world. I mean, is it being embraced everywhere now? I mean, you were saying off air, you used to play in China for a while. Yes, uh, basketball is becoming huge there. Well, basketball is uh, becoming embraced because the American culture is is actually very, very strong around the world, which I come to learn. Um, so. You know, I see pictures of, you know, Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, all over the place. So, and the kids, um, you know, they really like us. And then they, also they like the Globetrotters. <laughs> Was there a, a big culture clash when you were living and playing in, in China? Mm, not really, because um, they speak English better than I do. <laughs> so that's what I was very impressed with. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't, not, not for me it was a big, uh wasn't a big culture class I'm so used to. You know, I've been to over probably 80 countries, mm. and it wasn't a big culture class. Yeah, but right. they, they, uh, most most countries are, I kind of say, kind of getting Americanized. Yeah, right. Yes. And have you had a sort of chance to check out the standard of basketball in Australia? How does it compare with... You know, I haven't... Um, I, heard, I, heard, I, I mean, I watch them on YouTube and stuff and see some of you guys' leagues. Um, I haven't had a chance to see any in person, but I would like to see some. This might be a silly question, but I first learned about the Globetrotters when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I saw them on The Simpsons. Yes. Did you? Can you remember that episode? Yes. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> I, I was just watching that episode. That's the episode when uh, when Krusty yeah. betted his life savings uh, for the Washington Generals to yeah. the Globetrotters. That's hilarious. I, I just actually I just posted that the other day. Oh, did you? It was funny. Yes. Oh, I, I had to find hilarious. out. Yes. Very funny. With the the stunts and the tricks that the Globetrotters would do in those exhibitions, what, what were the ones? What were some of the tricks that would go down best? That you know would always be real fan pleasers in those. In oh, those games? very high flying dunks. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what they come to see the high flying dunks. I mean, I wasn't a dunker because you know it doesn't take a considerable amount of effort for me to dunk. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, can you dunk without your feet leaving the ground? No, I have to jump about twelve inches. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's not that impressive. Were there any tricks when you first started? Um, you start, first started learning tricks that were just mm-hmm. beyond your ability. Yes, it was some of them that I can't do. It was like a lot of them with the, the feet. Um, yeah. Like I can never, I can never um, bounce the ball and catch in the back of my neck. I guess due to the hair because it's so long. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was, and I can't dunk the basketball with my feet. So it was like ah. I, they have a couple of globe trotters that that like to dunk the basketball with their feet. I tried it, but it just doesn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> leave that to someone else. Yes. Yes. And what was the spread of heights in the globe trotters? Were I, you the tallest player? No, there? not no, 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 no. Not, I wasn't uh, the tallest at one point. We had a. Uh, yeah, one of the tallest guys in, in Globetrotter history, his name was Paul Sergis. He was about seven foot eight. Wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm number three in the history, so that's most tallest. <laughs> You're right. Yes. Okay, the uh, camps are coming up from the 25th of September. The Safe, Life, Safe Lace Basketball Camps presented by Safe Lace, as the name suggests. Um, there's a whole series of them. Probably the best bet is that people jump on safelacebasketball.com.au. They need yes. to book in advance, but one of the presenters is former Harlem Globetrotter Jay Stretch Middleton, whom we've been talking to. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.